You cry out to God for mercy from a heart that is broken and contrite with sin. God will answer that prayer. You cry out to God for mercy. Now, at the thought, measure your heart. What does the notion of crying out to God for mercy do in your heart? Is it, is it novel? Is it a, a new idea? You hadn't considered that before? I, like, I didn't know I could call out to God for mercy. I didn't know God was merciful. I thought God was just frustrated with all of us all the time. I didn't know that he had mercy and love for us. What's in your heart at the idea of crying out to God, have mercy on me? Is it off-putting to you? Mercy. I don't need mercy. I've got me. I've got my own, right? I've got my stuff together, okay? I'm a good person. I don't need mercy. It's dangerous. Or are some of you already at the invitation time of this sermon right now? Yep, that's me. That's it, that's it. Uh, you've been living in sin. You've been living in defiance to a holy God, letting sin crop up and even cultivating that sin. And you're just feeling convicted, 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 convicted. And then the first one minute and 17 seconds of the sermon, call out to God for mercy. You're like, I'm there, yes. Okay, look, if you need to do that during this sermon, you go right ahead. No one's gonna be offended, amen? Uh, you don't need to wait until the end. You can come at the altar. You can do anywhere you, where you're at. You call to God for mercy from a heart that is broken and contrite and convicted for sin. God will answer that. We see a man named, we, we call him Blind Bartimaeus. That is the least accurate name to give this man now. And he was healed of his blindness. Why, why do we call him blind Bartimaeus? Especially now in heaven, he sees in a level that our physical eyes can't fathom. But colloquially, that's what we call him, blind Bartimaeus. This passage shows a man crying out to God for mercy and receiving it. Because a prayer to God for mercy is a prayer and a accordance with the will of God. It is, it's not God's will that any, any one of us should perish, but he's patient with us, wanting all of us to come to repentance. So when you, convicted by the Holy Spirit of God for your sin, call out to God for mercy, you are praying a prayer that will be answered. You are praying in accordance with the will of God. For context, we are in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52, page, uh, page 847. And the Bible's in the seats with you. Jesus has met with the rich young ruler and spoken with him and actually gives the rich young ruler the same invitation that he gave the other disciples. Compare and contrast the calling of the rich young ruler with the calling of Peter and company. You can see that he called Peter and company in Matthew 4, 19 and 20. And then he also called he also called the rich young ruler with the same invitation in Mark 10, 21b through 22, already knowing what was going on in the heart of the rich young ruler. So compare and contrast, you can see what did Peter and company do when they were given this invitation? 
immediately dropped their nets and followed Jesus, dropped everything, dropped their means of earning a living, left their former life behind and followed Jesus. Then rich young ruler is given the same invitation, come follow me, but instead he walks away sad because riches were Lord in his life. Now he's en route to Jerusalem. He goes from Jericho to Jerusalem and along the way, we meet Bartimaeus. On the road to Jerusalem, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, we meet Bartimaeus. So this is where we've come from, the calling of the rich young ruler. Here's where we're going, Jerusalem. Here's a QR code. Right? If you want to experience this on your smartphone, there's a few ways to do it. One of them is through using this QR code to go to a virtual reality experience that will immerse you in the context of chapter 11, where we're heading geographically in the text. All right, so take this QR code. It'll take you to a virtual reality experience. You can look around the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. There's also a link to follow, highlandcc.org slash Gethsemane. Now, if, you, if you're not gonna use the QR code, that's not your style. It's also just been shared on social media, so follow us on social media, and you can see the link there. But also, if you don't wanna do any of this, we're just gonna show you on the screen. So take a look at the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place that's described. This is where Jesus prayed. This is where Judas, accompanied by a horde, came to arrest Jesus. This is where Jesus prayed, sweating blood before the crucifixion. This is where that took place. Look at me. The Bible is true. It describes real places that you can go and visit, you can go and see. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It is true, it is honest. These exact trees are not the exact trees that, it, that existed in Jesus' day, but they are of a similar species and in the same locale. The Bible is true, the Bible is true, the Bible is true, look. So if you want to experience that on your own phone, wherein you move your phone around to, as a viewfinder to experience that place, you could use the link that we provided on social media, follow the QR code if you got it in time. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where we're headed. It was en route to this place that Jesus and company met blind Bartimaeus. And according to the Matthew 20 account of the same miracle, his friend who was calling out along with him. Matthew 20 describes two blind men crying out to Jesus. In Mark, it names one of them specifically. His name is Bartimaeus, and this is his story. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46 with me. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? 
And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, amen, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I'm so taken with this passage that this is the full text of our sermon today. Is that okay with you guys? I'm so taken with this passage. This is incredible. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate for you, illuminate for you the truth of his word as you read along with us following the Bible reading plan available here at the, at the Welcome Center. After, after uh, we are, we're done with our service, you can catch up. We as a church are going book by book through the Bible together. We're currently in the Gospel of Mark. Our small group curriculum has covered verses 35 through 45, and I want our sermon to zoom in on verses 46 through 52. Along the way, verse by verse, we're all reading the Bible individually. So we're reading verse by verse, we are studying passage by passage, and we are preaching passages that complement the passages covered by our curriculum. So, not only do I want you to read your Bibles, I want you to join a group. Right Now, verse 46 and 47. This man is by the roadside, accompanied by his fellow blind man. And verse 47 is, is rich and dense with theological application. Okay? Not, to, not to overly emphasize the obvious, but to point out something that you may have glanced over. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. The word heard is really important in this passage for you as you sit in this room right now. Hey, why, why point out that he heard this? Well, because he's blind. The only sensory faculty by which he could have received news that Jesus was passing by. Now, I know that it's obvious that a blind man could not see, could only hear, but here's what that's significant. You can't see Jesus either, but he passes by now. You have a lot in common with Bartimaeus because you can't see God. You can't see. You are just as blind as Bartimaeus. He was physically in proximity to Bar Bartimaeus. And the only way that Bartimaeus could know was by hearing. This is, this is beautifully, beautifully scriptural. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay, John 1, 18. You have a lot in common with Bartimaeus. No one has ever seen God. You are just as blind as Bartimaeus was in verse 47. No one's ever seen God, but through Jesus you may know him. Likewise, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing to the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Aren't you so glad? Aren't you so glad that of all the sensory capacities by which we might know God, Romans 10, 17 points out these, that faith not, not comes, it doesn't come by what you see, not by what you observe with your eyes, but faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, that you would hear the word. So right here and now, this is not a drill. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the son of God. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. You and I were sinners. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Romans 10, 9, it's clear. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. If your heart hears the word of Christ for the very first time, this is your moment. Jesus is passing by. Though you cannot see him, neither could Bartimaeus. If you would believe in Jesus today, you would be saved and healed. So he heard the word of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what about that Jesus of Nazareth? Why is that significant? I'll submit to you, like this tremendous reaction that, that came out of Bartimaeus had nothing to do with the of Nazareth part of the news. If anything, Nazareth had a bad reputation. Look at John 1:46. Nathaniel, upon hearing news of Jesus, his immediate response was this: Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like Nazareth had a bad reputation. Bartimaeus was not excited about the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth. If somebody came from Nazareth, you could expect to gain nothing socially or politically by being in proximity to that person. If anything, it would probably hurt your reputation to hang out with Nazarenes. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that is a, that is a really, really bad slam against Jesus's, Jesus's adopted hometown. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it wasn't, it wasn't the of Nazareth part that excited Bartimaeus, it's the Jesus part. The of Nazareth is just there for specificity. Not the Yeshua from some other town, this one, the one. He heard the name Jesus, and it stirs this reaction in Bartimaeus that would cause him to disrupt this way. Look at the text, it says, he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and he began to cry out. There are certain pieces of information which when we hear them, they will elicit a shrug from us and nothing more. Okay, for example, for example, there's a chance that it might rain this coming week. See? But then there are other pieces of information which elicit slightly stronger reactions. Like you might hear something that would cause you to go, huh? Which is slightly more severe than, for example, Adam Sandler has a new movie coming out. Huh. See? You're thinking like he was funny in 1996 and maybe he's going to be funny again. But then, then there are pieces of information that elicit even stronger reactions. All right? For example, the Seattle Seahawks drafted DeMarcus Christmas. Right? Woo! Amen. See that? <laughs> Go Knowles. Eventually. But then, then there are certain pieces of information which when you hear... Everything within your heart just wells up and flows over your desire to go unnoticed. Like the, the well within your heart just springs up to the point that your fear of your peers just diminishes and you've got to erupt 
and you gotta disrupt, and you gotta offend, and suddenly your desire to remain inconspicuous just disappears. For Bartimaeus, it's Jesus of Nazareth is here. And he begins to cry out. Now, for a man whose whole living is made like begging other people for money, he had a, he had a vested interest in not being annoying to people. But this information was just so significant that it caused him to cry out. The news of Jesus is worth overcoming the fear of your peers. We as humans sometimes tend to act like herd animals and we just wanna go unnoticed. All right, for some of you, like that's your main mission in life is to go unseen, <laughs> unnoticed completely. For Bartimaeus, the news of Jesus' proximity was just too much. He cried out. There's a very short list of names that would elicit such a passionate and consequential response from somebody. And the name of Jesus was on Bartimaeus' list. Why? Look to the title he gives Jesus. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. I can remember being a little boy with my hardcover adventure Bible, reading this passage and being confused by it, and taking my Bible to my parents' bedroom and asking them, like, what happened to Joseph? <laughs> and God, for that matter. Why is he calling him the son of David? Is he confusing him with another Jesus? Jesus, son of David. I mean, he's the son of God, and his earthly father was Joseph, whose story, by the way, does not get told enough. Joseph, more on that this Christmas. <laughs> Jesus, son of David. Bartimaeus was equating Jesus with the fulfillment of an ancient promise. Bartimaeus, evidentially was well-versed in the Torah, the ancient writings right, that we call 2 Samuel. First and 2 Samuel originally were one volume. They were broken in two just for, the con for, for convenience and accuracy. It's really one ancient text. We call it 2 Samuel, and particularly in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there is this promise that is made to David regarding the son that was to be born to him. And this promise you can watch the prophet Nathan say some things that are clearly about the physical son that's about to be born, Solomon, but then there are other implications in this prophecy that go way beyond Solomon, way beyond this physical son, that are eternal in their scope, that are heavenly in their nature. All right, look at this. This, this is the text that, or one of the texts that was likely on Bartimaeus' heart that would cause him to refer to Jesus as the son of David. All right, 2 Samuel 7. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. David went from being a shepherd to the king of Israel. If anybody's stuck in that in-between phase right now, you have patience and wait on the Lord. A lot of time went by between the anointing of David and the coronation of David but God keeps his promises. And I have been with you wherever you went 
and cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. You guys ever read the book of Judges? That was a rough time. It was a rough era. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. All right, we can see a reference to Solomon because Solomon would be the one who would build the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, now that... That can't be just about Solomon because Solomon did, in fact, kick the proverbial bucket at some point. And this is an important passage in, uh, to interpret in light of the nation of Israel. All right, to this day, the Star of David exists at the middle of the flag for the nation of Israel. And some of that's in reference to this text. The classic error of the disciples and some of the other contemporaries of Jesus and perhaps Orthodox Jews today is they believe that this throne of Israel lasting forever is referring only to the nation of Israel specifically, neglecting the fact that the promise that was made through Abraham was to bless all nations, all nations, not only Israel. It was for lack of understanding of this passage that the disciples asked Jesus upon the resurrection, are you gonna restore the political status of Israel now? Missing the point, not just for Israel, all nations that would be blessed through this son of Abraham. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, okay, we're clearly not talking about Jesus anymore. Now we're back to Solomon, okay? Solomon committed iniquity. If you're not familiar with the story, he writes Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, depending on your translation. Beautiful book about his love for his bride, all right, bearing some foreshadowings of the church and Christ. But in all of this, after writing this exquisite book on love, Solomon ends up becoming a huge creep. He commits iniquity, but look what the text says. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is perhaps one of the texts that was on Bartimaeus' heart when he called Jesus the son of David. There are passages like these that promise a son of David whose throne would last forever. It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't, his, it wasn't David's grandsons. Who was it? Jesus is from the line of David. He is a fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Everything that God said he would do and bring it about the Messiah, he did. And so Bartimaeus, referring to Jesus as the son of David, is saying, I believe that you, Jesus, are the prophesied one. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the one who is descended from David. You are the savior of the world. This is an old Testament salvation. He confesses that Jesus is the son of David. He didn't yet have the New Testament. He's in the New Testament. He's part of the authorship of the New Testament. He had only the Torah. He had heard the Torah. At one point, he was able to see, hence his use of the word recover, when he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So perhaps either growing up in Beit Sefer, Beit Midrash, 
He was able to read the Torah for himself, or he heard the Torah his whole life, knew the prophecies about the son of David, and said, this is it. This is he. This is Jesus. That's why this particular healing miracle does not come with an accompanying salvation. Oftentimes, the real miracle of the text is not the physical healing, it's the forgiving of the sinner. The man who was lowered through the hole in the roof before Jesus, the real miracle of that text is Jesus looking on a sinner and proclaiming him forgiven. The healing of the man's paralysis that he would get up and walk out was only to prove to the Pharisees that he'd actually forgiven him. This text in Bartimaeus, however, there's no salvific moment. There's just the healing of the blindness. Bartimaeus already believed that Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the prophesied one. He's the fulfillment of everything God said he would do. Here's what the text says in 2 Corinthians 1:20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, the prophesied one. He and he alone fulfills this litany of ancient messianic prophecies. There's nobody else that ever possibly could fulfill these prophecies. He is the son of David who was promised. And that's, that's why Bartimaeus in his heart knew Jesus is the son of David. That's why he cries out to him for mercy. So he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, and so he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's talk about that. Have mercy on me. If you're mad at God because he didn't heal you, if you're mad at God because he didn't do a miracle that you asked him to do. Check, check your heart for a moment because we are not entitled to miracles. We're not actually entitled to healing. Healings from God, as in the case of Bartimaeus, are an act of mercy. And mercy, by its nature, is something that is undeserved. If it were deserved, it would not be mercy. It would merely be a perfectly fair, well-calculated transaction of virtues, okay? Services rendered for payment made. There's no mercy in that. Mercy is you don't deserve this, but I'm gonna give this to you. Consider, if you ever get, if you ever get mad at God for not giving you something you asked for, just consider what you actually deserved to begin with from God. Okay. All of us are sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. Wages are what you get in return for your work. Okay, Here's what you get in return for your work, sinner. Death. Eternity in hell apart from God. Perfectly fair treatment for sinners like us. Because if you don't have the Son of God, God's wrath remains on you. It's only through the mercy of God that we can be saved. So remember what you deserve from God. What you and I deserve for our sin is eternity in hell. But, aren't you glad that there's more to Romans 6.23? But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What we deserve in return for our sin is death, but what we get instead as a gift from God is life. Now the word gift is important. It is a gift from God. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
All right, Bartimaeus was not trying to leverage his good track record. He was not trying to wave his good deeds like currency in front of God. He was just asking for mercy. He was just asking for mercy. Would you check your heart and would you consider if the Holy Spirit of God is humbling you that you might pray the way that Bartimaeus did? If you're mad at God because he hasn't healed you, if you're frustrated with God because your prayer life isn't being answered at all, would you look to the example of Bartimaeus whose prayer was answered? And would you remember what we deserve from God and compare it to what we get from God? What we deserve is eternity in hell. What we get through Jesus is eternity in heaven. Therefore, any affliction this life may bring upon us is worth enduring. And consider the company that you keep in asking God for healing but not receiving it. Paul, the apostle himself, multiple times, pleaded with God, remove this thorn, remove this thorn, remove this thorn, and God did not remove it. Sometimes it's God's will that you would remain afflicted. So Bartimaeus cries out to God for mercy. That prayer indicates what's going on in his heart. Consider the parable, Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like he called out the guy standing next to him. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and the one who exalts himself will be humbled. Bartimaeus was humble, pleading to the Lord, have mercy on me. Listen, if you think of yourself as spiritually self-made, you lack self-awareness and you don't know who God is, okay? You lack self-awareness and you don't know God. Let this text be a reminder of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. When you go before the Lord and you pray to him, you don't speak to him the way that a jerk boss does when he kicks down the door to the office of an incompetent, lazy employee, come in, make a list of demands, tap your watch, and complain when it's not done on your timeline. Okay? You are not the boss. Some Christians, you may be frustrated with your prayer life. If you're talking to God the way that a mean boss talks to incompetent employees, I'm going to make a prediction here. Your prayer life stinks. And you're getting nothing from God. Sound about right? Consider this text. Consider Bartimaeus and the way he prayed. His prayer was answered. His prayer was answered. He prayed from a broken, contrite heart, self-aware of his sinful depravity before a holy God. That changes things when we remember who we are and who God is. It changes the way we pray if we're going before him entitled. We are not entitled to healings from God. They are acts of mercy. Bartimaeus' prayer acknowledges the mercies of God and predicates his plea upon that. 
Look at Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So this act of asking God for mercy will change your heart from one of arrogant self-reliance to a more factually accurate grace-reliance. It changes the way that we approach God. Now, look at verse 48. It said that many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Many people. For some of us, all it takes is one person shushing us, talking about Jesus, and we oblige. Sorry. Like, for some of us, all it takes is just one person, only one, trying to shush us, and then we're, I'm not gonna talk about Jesus for another five years. But like multiple people were telling Bartimaeus to be silent. Multiple people. And he cried out all the more. He cried out even more. Christian, don't be intimidated. Don't be silenced. The enemy will try to neuter you with fear of what other people think of you. It took multiple people trying to silence Bartimaeus and he just escalates. He just cries out even more. Look, I know, I know that it can be scary. Okay, I know that it can be intimidating to speak up about your faith. Right, imagine it from, from our context here. Like from this platform, I've preached Genesis 18 and 19 on Sodom and Gomorrah, which speaks very directly about homosexuality. And we live in Seattle. Do you think I was nervous? Yes, I was nervous. But what happened? People were saved. I've spoken from this platform on the sanctity of human life in the most liberal county in the U.S. by voting record. You think I was nervous? Yeah, but what did God do? An abortionist repented. Okay, so if you're on the sidelines, if you're intimidated, if you've been shushed, the, the, the crowd is trying to shush you, and you're obliging, would you, would you look at Bartimaeus, and would you come out of your bunker already? Okay, come out of your bomb shelter. These people need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you speak it, the Holy Spirit draws on hearts and, and the dead come to life. People are saved. Don't be silenced. Don't be shushed. Yield to no spirit that would silence the gospel. Look at Bartimaeus crying out all the more. Now, I've got I've to thank you all. I'm so blessed by something that I see. Right? No generation of pastors has ever had quite a glimpse into the life of the people in, in their churches as this generation, in part through social media. I see tons of people from Highlands Community Church just sharing stuff that our church makes that proclaims the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, I appreciate it. I know that there's, there's probably some nervousness in your heart because you're like, my coworkers, my teammates, my neighbors, they probably don't know that I believe in Jesus, but they're about to find out. Click. <laughs> so thank you. I acknowledge, for some of you, that first share, that's like your coming out moment. So thank you. Thank you for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Highlands Community Church, I'm so proud of you. I'm so blessed by this. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Now look at, look at the details that are given in verses 49 and 50. This is fascinating to me. It says that he, he, he threw off his cloak and he sprang up to come to Jesus. That's that's funny to me. Threw off his cloak, sprang up, like this big dramatic moment. Like he's been crying out, shh. He cries out even more. All right, take heart. He's calling you. Throws off the cloak, <laughs> springs up, and comes to Jesus. I like Bartimaeus. 
I like, I like his swagger, I like his confidence, I like how brazen he is. This is his moment. This is your moment. This is your moment too. Throw off the cloak, spring up, go to Jesus. Just defying the crowd that tried to silence you. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. And what does it also indicate about the heart of Jesus? Did you know this about God? I mean, for, for, for you, it may be that like, you haven't rebuffed the idea of crying out to God for mercy because you're spiritually self-unaware. It's that you just genuinely didn't know this was the, the heart of God. Like when you pictured God in your head, you pictured God as like this ticked off judge who hasn't had enough caffeine and like it's your sentencing. Quitting time was five and it's now almost six. That's God looking at you like, oh man. Like you didn't know that he had mercy for you. That you can come to him the way that Bartimaeus came to him. Now look in verse, look in verse 51. Look at, look at the question that Jesus asks and then the answer that Bartimaeus gives. What do you want me to do for you? Like it's so interesting. He's a blind man. Like Jesus, do you not see the context clues? He's clearly blind. So Jesus is just asking him, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Just say it, just, just pray it, just say it, it's gonna be so good. <laughs> That's in the Jesse Campbell translation. <laughs> it's obvious what he wants, he want, what he wants Jesus to do. Jesus isn't asking the question because he doesn't know. He's asking so that Bartimaeus would answer. Oh man, and Bartimaeus answers. <laughs> Like, that's an opportunity. The Son of God just asked you, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus does not waste the opportunity. Look at the, look at the audacity and the specificity of his answer. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He prays specifically. Can we be brutally honest? Do you lack the faith to pray specifically? because you're afraid it'll shake your faith in God if you pray for something specific and God doesn't come through. So you wanna give God a safety net so that if you pray for something specific and he doesn't do it, it doesn't crush your faith. Look at the way that Bartimaeus prayed, Christian, specifically. And then consider the audacity of the prayer. Break the laws of physics for me. He was praying in proportion to what Jesus was able to do. Think on that audacious, it's specific, and then God does it. Now the most important part of the whole passage could be the final words. He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. If your evangelistic approach, Christian, has been merely like, look, just pray the prayer with me. Pray the prayer and I'll never talk to you again. Please. <laughs> That's not evangelism. Okay, listen, we were called not to make converts, but to make disciples. Okay, disciples follow Jesus. What does the text say about Bartimaeus? And he followed him on the way. Bartimaeus is now a fully healed, able-bodied servant. So what is expected of him? That he would follow Jesus. And he does, he follows him to Jerusalem. He is now equipped to serve. He didn't heal you of your sin, so that you would remain there. You've been given a commissioning, Christian, and it's not to make converts, not to get people to check the box, not to get people to pray the prayer after you, but to follow Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is, the, this is the scope of the Great Commission. And it comes with a promise to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Christian, if you've been convicted by this passage, either because you're, you've been wrongheaded in your prayers, forgetting yourself and who God is, would you take Bartimaeus' prayer and make it your own? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And if you are also convicted by the example of this story in which Bartimaeus doesn't just get healed, but he also follows Jesus, would you endeavor and make a commitment to the Lord to never cease the process of evangelism until the evangelized evangelizes? The process of evangelism is not complete until the evangelized one evangelizes someone else. Bartimaeus was not merely healed. He was put to work. He followed Jesus. Have you been stopping short and settling for a status quo in your own evangelistic life? Now, to the Bartimaei in the room. You don't see him, but Jesus is passing by right now. And this is your moment. If you would cry out to him for mercy, proclaiming your belief in him for all that he has prophesied to be, this is the moment that you would see and be saved. So if the Holy Spirit of God is drawn upon your heart right now, I want to invite you to pray in accordance with the spirit of the almighty living God who is pulling on your heart. This is your moment, Bartimaeus. This is your moment. Would you pray to God, proclaim your belief in him, and receive your sight? Let's pray both for the Bartimaei in the room and for the Christians inspired and compelled, encouraged by this text. God, I lift up my fellow believers in the room who see this story and are suddenly, suddenly convicted for the way that they've spoken to you, God out of a sense of entitlement, forgetting who we are. God, would you have mercy on us? Remind us of your mercies because they are new every morning. Remind us of what you've saved us from, God. And forgive us, Lord, if we neglect to acknowledge your grace when we speak to you. May our prayers begin, Father, hallowed be your name. God, would you forgive us if we stop short of what you intended in the Great Commission? Not merely making converts, making disciples, the way that Bartimaeus followed you. God, I wanna see that happen in the lives of the people that I share the gospel with. I wanna see them follow you, Jesus, just like Bartimaeus followed you. Now I wanna pray on behalf of those who believe in Jesus for the first time, who see this text, and though you cannot see God, you know that he's here. Like Bartimaeus, you, you can't see Jesus, but he's passing by, and the Spirit of God is compelling you to cry out to him. You cry out, Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. I believe, God, that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that if I would believe in him, I would not die but have everlasting life. I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And I confess that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe that Jesus is the life. And I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. So compelled and drawn and enabled by the spirit of the living God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up and praise Jesus? Stand up and praise Jesus.